five in the eye with Michael and Phil. It's news, but is it new? Hello, and a very more welcome to Five in the Eye here on Colorful Radio. This is me, Michael Ohituru, in the hot seat for episode 048 of our colorful of our colorful weekly news review show right here on Colorful Radio. And this is Phil Woodford joining Michael Varzoom and revealing our top story is going to be about the way different wars are viewed around the world. Ukraine and Gaza have had no end of coverage in the media, but what about conflicts in Africa that have displaced millions? Shouldn't they receive the same kind of attention? Five in the eye. Our second story is something that we picked up in The Voice and the Jamaican Gleaner. Are the heirs of slavery, that's a group of people who directly benefited from their ancestors' involvement in slavery, now getting too much attention? While while they back calls for reparation, they also appear to be benefiting from book deals and TV appearances. What's story number three this week? Well, we jump back to the COVID inquiry, which has seen testimony from the scientists and doctors who were advising the government. Apparently, former Prime Minister Boris Johnson wasn't that good at interpreting charts. And what, and what, and what about the term on open AI? The company that created ChatGBT. Sam Altman, the CEO, was forced out, joined Microsoft, then returned within just a few days. Some reports now say the episode was sparked by a letter of warning of dangers of emerging, of, of emerging with artificial intelligence. And finally this week, to wrap up the show, it's the news that Santa was too busy to turn up at a grotto, causing a lot of disappointment for well-behaved girls and boys. Have I got to say this, Phil? He said no, no, no to the ho, ho, ho. And that's this week's Five in the Eye. Five in the Eye. Okay, well, we're going to start this week with um, a discussion of... Um, wars around the world and the different ways in which they seem to be covered because you know for a very long time we um had uh, a huge amount of coverage from ukraine uh, and russia and the, that war on the edge of europe which obviously uh is pretty close to home uh for for those of us in the uk um and um it, it seemed for a while as if that was uh that that was going to be the the conflict that dominated the early part of the the 2020s but then um after the october 7th attack by hamas and the subsequent israeli attacks on gaza um it's almost like ukraine faded away michael and um you you're hard pressed to find any information about it unless you go looking for it um and the middle east suddenly became dominant perhaps a sign that news organizations are only really able to focus on one crisis at a time or they believe that their readers and viewers can only focus on one crisis at a time but the the reason we wanted to talk about this is there's a lot of other conflicts going on in the world many of which are really serious and um, a number of which are going on in Africa. So for instance, in Sudan, we've had the conflict there between the Sudanese armed forces and what are called the rapid support forces. Uh, Around four and a half million people have had to um, flee their homes. There's also uh, more turmoil in the Darfur region, which has um, long 
uh, long suffered from conflict. Um, we've got uh, the the DRC, Dem Democratic Republic of Congo, uh, a million people forced from their homes in the past year there. Um, and that that's related to uh, conflicts with 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 militia groups, uh, including a rebel group called called M23. Um, and it doesn't really stop there, Michael. Somalia. Uh, we've got the 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 battle between the government and and, and Al Shabab, the the uh, the extremist Islamist group. Even Nigeria, um, about nearly half a million forcibly uh, people forcibly displaced last year because of the 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 actions of of militant Islamists. So uh, there's an awful lot going on in Africa. It's affecting huge numbers of people, and yet no coverage. And yet Gaza, wall-to-wall -wall coverage. Ukraine, wall-to-wall -wall coverage. What does this say about our attitudes to these conflicts in general, Michael, and, and about our attitudes to, to Africa as a continent? It, it, it's a big subject, Phil. My, my, first, my, my first response is it's about attention span and graphics, big pictures. We need pictures, graphic, graphic pictures. That, that that really capture people's imagination say this is something we need to consider i'm i'm, I'm minded of um Jim, all, all the, all the, the most dreadful in the dreadful pictures from the the ethiopian famine was a vulture waiting for a, a little a little baby a little boy i think this boy was was on the verge of starvation dying and this vulture in the background waiting to come up on him and it was a very dramatic, very stark, deeply, deeply troubling picture that reflected the the, the, the starvation that was going on. These and, and that picture galvanized. There was one of the images that galvanized um, the, the Britain into uh, live aid and all the things that came from it. I think this is this is the thing that's deeply troubling that these wars have been going on in Africa for, for, for certainly for years now, and they're often complex. You know, ethnic. Yeah, religion, gen even gender wars that in in, uh, in in interactions that cause strife that goes on and causes great 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 suffering for many. As you mentioned, some of the figures that in terms of the people who've been um, just the, the the deposed. So, I think perhaps the pictures aren't good enough. We need more pictures, more graphic pictures. But I think it goes a bit further than that, Phil, if I can just make this point. There's a compassion fatigue that we have. And I, I, I really believe we can only handle one of these wars at one time. Yeah, look, I mean, look, look up to Ukraine. Ukraine was in the big in the news. Now Ukraine's disappeared. It's yeah. all about Gaza. I mean, if, you, if you look at a, a news organization, say like the BBC, the amount of resource they put into covering the war in Ukraine initially. I mean, people like, you know, Clive Myrie um, out in um, out in Kiev uh, reporting from there, other reporters on the ground, their reporters in Moscow. Um, it's, it's a huge operation. And then to think that they're doing it again with the middle east and ha having people reporting on the conflict between uh israel and hamas um it, it's almost as if you know you, you you couldn't physically be sustaining the same level of coverage about both conflicts then you've got to think about also i guess us as viewers and listeners because how much 
conflict can people cope with how much can we how much can we listen to in a news broadcast of the our, our compassion bandwidth you know enough you know because you could have a, a whole news hour of, of war mm. wall to war war with with dreadful pictures to the point where no enough i remember at one stage i had there was a report on on was it cnn or one of the american news uh, broadcast they were told this was during the R Rwanda when the, the Tutsis and Hutsis were fighting each other, and there were literally bodies floating down the river. The, the CNN were reported, "We don't want any pictures of bodies in rivers. We had enough." Mm -hmm. And it's it's true, Phil. We do have a compassion fatigue in terms of what we can cope with, and and and, and news and news and news agents or news media has to mediate that to find uh, what appeals. And then, Phil, and then we drift into news as entertainment. Mm. You know, what what could keep the people engaged? Because often, sometimes, these pictures are so horrible, we want to turn them off. No, yeah, move yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to watch something else. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, but you, 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 there's another layer to this, though, isn't there, Michael, which is an uncomfortable one, which is the thought that perhaps what goes on in Africa isn't deemed as important as what goes on in other parts of the world i mean there was there was a lot of criticism uh, uh, about when you know when when ukraine was very very dominant and we were bringing all the refugees yeah. over you know people making the point well we don't have the same refugee schemes for people coming from other troubled parts of the world and uh, the ukrainians seem to have a, a bit of a privileged status and some people would say well they were white. They were European. Um, we we welcome them. But if someone's coming from Syria or they're coming from Afghanistan, it stopped the boats, isn't it? I mean, there there's a, there there is a double standard here. Uh, uh, yeah, the good double standard, and it's compounded by the fact that we can understand the Ukrainian war. It's quite simple. Mm. But if you want to, you know, you want to explain some of these wars in Africa. It, it's, it's quite complex. It's difficult. It's mm. nuanced. You know, the ethnic wars, the religious wars that are going on, it's challenging. And they have the legacy in, in the colonialism and the, and, and the, and the European empires of the, of the last century. So it, it's difficult to understand who's against what, why, and how. Whose side should I be on? And I have to be honest with you, Phil, I'm always confused. Who side? Whose side should I be? You know, if you look at Sudan, or um, yeah, you, you've got the Genjaweed, you've got the Arabs from the north, exactly. you've got the the Christians and the Africans from the south. So whose side should I be on? You know, it's it, it, it's difficult to try to say. Well, this is these are the good guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and, I, and and these wars are not like the good guys. You know, it's not. It's, yeah, it's, I mean, you, could, you know. I mean, I, I admit, you know, we, we've, you know, we, we, we have had experts on the show before talking to us about uh, Sudan, for instance, and but I mean, I, I don't pretend my understanding is anything other than other than superficial from what I can from what I can read. It's fundamentally a power struggle between different factions, and there, as you say, there, there isn't really any particular ideology or any particular right or wrong on either side of this. These are people who, who are fighting for power and there's lots of ordinary people caught up right in the middle of it. And so we don't feel instinctively, we know who we're supposed to be siding with. Exactly. And the, the issue is, and this is, this is the binary world we live in, who is the aggressor? And it's clear who, who's, who's the dominant force here. 
and oh, and we can then take sides. We're for or against dominant force. But but in these wars, it's not clear mm. who is the dominant side, who is who is pulverizing the other one. Mm. So I'll, I'll, and and in, instinctively, and I'll be upfront here, Phil. I'm, I'm, there's a, there's an in, instinctive British thing. It's the underdog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the you know who is the underdog, and some of these African wars, it's not clear. Who, who is the underdog? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I suppose one final, one final, one final uh, uh, angle on this would be, you know, when we look at the war in Ukraine and the war in the Middle East. For us, it could be argued that the consequences in terms of things like energy um, are very much at the fore, aren't they? We worry. We we, we worried with with Ukraine about the cost of all our fuel rocketing, gas rocketing. The same kinds of issues start to arise in the Middle East, particularly if the war spread beyond uh, where it is at the moment, and people like Iran and Hezbollah got involved in it. You know, you could imagine once again. Our, uh, us being hit in our pockets people maybe think things go on in africa life goes on here and there's this kind of sense that it doesn't matter as much but it's real people's lives people are suffering just as much in africa as they are anywhere else no you're right for, and, and often the you know the, these the congo sudan they've got resource mineral resources oil etc that 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 access to do access to affects the price on the on the world market so they are indirectly but i guess the lag factor from lithium being hard to find or some of these rare earth elements being hard to find because of the war is not is not so great it takes us a time like whereas the with oil it's direct it's immediate it's almost you know it's almost overnight it's got liquid access we can see how that liquid asset changes in value as it becomes scarcer overnight so, 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 Phil, this is a complex issue, and I want, and I'd like to return to this. How do we manage this? Because there's something wrong with us as a, as a society. Is we're we're complaining about these immigrants coming over here, and and, and this week is still going up. Why are they coming here? Then we look at these all these wars are happening around the world. What can we do to affect these wars? And Phil, I know time is gone now, but. Do you think this new uh, foreign secretary is going to make things better for us? And uh, David Cameron, Lord Lord Cameron, <laughs> Lord, recently, yeah, thank you, Lord rec Cameron, rec recently ennobled. Uh, 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 if, if because we're short of time, Michael, I'm going to give you a one-word answer, which is no. Um, I, I I don't really think that that Cameron offers anything other than kind of emollient and uh, uh, and and sort of uh, ju just sort of smoothing things smoothing things over. I don't think he's going to make any material difference whatsoever to any of these conflicts. And I, I'm with you, Phil. I'm with you 100 percent there. And let's say we're going to come back to these issues. This is the wars, wars in Africa, with uh, Mark Simpson. Uh, I was going to call him my war correspondent. <laughs> Does he, he like that? But Mark's, he's in touch with what's happening in Africa, and he can give us a much better picture. I look forward to that. Live in the eye. Story number two is a complex, a complex story. It's about reparations. It's about people who benefited from, from slavery, the heirs of people who benefited from slavery, putting reparations on the agenda through their website, Heirs of, Heirs of Slavery, and then they're writing books, they're creating podcasts, they're creating a dialogue, they're connecting with uh, other reparatory organizations, 
they're, they're, they're making waves. But at the same time, Phil, they've come under uh, criticism. You know, to the point, why is it all about you? Why are you the celebrity? What's wrong, you know? You, you know, you're making, you know, you're writing books, articles, you're giving a little bit of money. It's not enough, and it's not about you. And Phil, I've got to be honest with you, Phil, I find this deeply troubling. Here are people wanting to make a point to, about reparation and do something, yet at the same time they're being criticized. And like, I could understand, I understand both sides. Yes, they want to do something. They realize that they benefited directly from, from slavery, if, often not monetarily, because the money is long gone now, but, but culturally, they have a position in society. They're part of an aspiring middle and upper class in society. And they want to put something back and put something back in money, in mo not just in money terms, I think it's important, but also in terms of their time. And, the, and this is where I find them challenged. They're using their celebrity, the, the, the fact that they're known. These people are known, mm. and they're being criticized for that, Phil. And I think yeah, that, I mean, that's it, a bit unjust. It's it, a is bit a, unjust. it is a tricky issue. I mean, I, I mean, one of the people we're, we're talking about here is Laura Trevelyan, and she, she was a, um, a, quite a big figure in the BBC as a journalist and hosted um, um, hosted news news shows on the BBC. So she is a face that that people know. Uh, her family um, were owned um, around a thousand uh, in, in enslaved people in Grenada, um, even though that they'd never been there apparently, and um, they were comp they were they were one of the families that compensated by uh, the British Empire after slavery was abolished in the early nineteenth century, and 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 they received thirty four thousand pounds, which. Um, in modern money, we're talking about something like three and a half million pounds, Michael, to compensate them. Of course, people who'd been enslaved didn't get any compensation. Um, now, then we, we're, we're into the situation, well, it's quite decent, I guess, that um, descendants of people who did benefit in this kind of way um, are willing to say, look, we know something terrible went on. Uh, we want to do our bit at making amends um but then you could also imagine i i can sort of see the resentment there might be to say well look, look actually this is not so much about you as someone who has had all this privilege and money it's about people who haven't it's about the people who've um you know suffered or suffered detriment as a result of slavery no, I'm with you, Phil, and I'm, I'm with you. It's not about them. Not about them. It's about those those enslaved. But at the same time, these people are bringing them forward. They're, they're, they're putting them on the literally on the agenda. They're making the the fact that these things happen. There's a history of of where we are today, and they they're saying this is what we should do. And they're connecting. They're connecting. And for me. The fact that Hillary Beckles is involved with them, and I've got a lot of times I say Hillary Beckles, he was the man who really gave, helped me understand reparations in terms of a conversation. And that's the key thing. It's a conversation. You, you don't sweep it under the carpet. You don't recognize it. That was the past. Slavery's long gone. Get, you know, what, what, what did Cameron say? Get over it. No, we're not getting over it. We're trying to work it through. 
Now, what that means, work is through, it's it's complex, it's messy, it's nuanced, it's multi-layered. It's not a straightforward story as you're bad, I'm good, or or the other way around. So it's a matter yeah. of, of us sharing sharing the pain, the grief, and trying to understand how we reconcile it. And it's not just about money. It's not just about status, celebrities, new. It's yeah. about connecting with people and trying to make a difference. But, but, it, but it's also, there's a bigger social, cultural, political issue, isn't there? Because, you know, look at someone like me. I'm I am not someone who has any as far as I'm aware, any connection directly to anything that went on uh, in the past in terms of, of slavery. But I still benefit from the system, don't I? I still benefit from the fact that as a white person, I've led a relatively privileged life. And therefore, this discussion, you could argue, is actually about not so much about individuals and families that have personally benefited financially, but more about society as a whole and how white people as a whole have benefited at the expense of black people. You're right, Phil. You're right. And the fact that you're, you're recognizing that, having the conversation is the start of the process. Understanding, what, trying to understand what, what are the consequences of that. You've clearly articulated for yourself as a white person. Then what? What? How is that? Um, what? How is that demeaned or, or or made the black lives more challenging, more difficult? You know, I'm minded of in the Caribbean, and again, I'm quoting Hilary Beckles when he talks about not there would be no investment in technology. This is during the, during the time of slavery, no investment in technology. It was all done manually, or it was imported. Not a nail was made out there. It was all imported. And this was great for the home economy. So everything, you know, they were making all these things for the colonies. So it was good for them, for British economy, but it was not good for the for um for the for the colonial colonies, for the for the Jamaicans, the Barbados, because everything was imported. And so there was no technological development. So now we say, well, how do we redress that balance? How do we redress the balance and put technology back in there? How do we create that? And how we do it? You know, there's lots of different ways we can do it. And it's part of that conversation. And, you know, someone say, well, it's a matter of money. We'll just reduce it to a money. No, maybe it's about time. You know, people giving up their time, going out with their, you know, and working in the universities and the schools. It's, 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 it's multi-layered. The opportunity to give back. And, but, and for me, the guiding thing is that was then, this is now. How are we different? What are we doing differently to try and make it happen? Now you can then, okay, some people leave themselves open to be criticized because you're not doing enough. Well, that's we can discuss that, but they're doing something. So I, I, I commend the years of slavery for the fact that they're on that journey, they're making that difficult journey to, and, to and reconciling who they are and how they fit in the world and want to go, want to go forward making connections, making a better world. Live in the eye. Story number three this week takes us back to the COVID inquiry, which is going to be rumbling on, and uh, we will, you know, we'll, we'll we'll look at it as and when we feel there's stuff worth talking about. And this week, it was the turn of the the boffins to uh, take the stand. So remember, Sir Patrick Valance, the chief scientific advisor, and Sir, uh, Professor Chris Whitty, the chief medical officer. 
Jonathan Van Tam, his deputy. These were they, they, they were all big figures, weren't they, Michael, during the the COVID era um, because we saw them on the tv all the time and they were often flanking politicians giving the politicians perhaps sometimes some credibility and and cover um all kinds of stuff was coming out this week i mean the, the interesting things to me were uh for instance the the famous eat out to help out scheme uh championed by rishi sunak who was then chancellor you know his his evidence written evidence to the inquiry hasn't given an oral presentation yet his written evidence to the inquiry said basically no no scientists or medical people objected to it chris witty and uh and and uh van tam and people are saying well they were never asked about it they never knew anything never knew anything about it so it's hardly surprising that they they didn't object and then we had the revelation that boris johnson the the former prime minister uh, was struggling with interpreting the sort of scientific data that people like valance and witty were putting ahead of him it seems to be a constant struggle he he had his head in his hands during the meetings he couldn't really seem to grasp stuff and i think was it valance who who said that he you know he'd given up maths at quite an early age at school um obviously focused on latin and uh greek and whatever else uh boris uh, turned boris on but but he he wasn't really equipped to deal with the crisis michael was he Boris, no. As I said, I, I always saw him as a great after-dinner speaker. After that, no. But I want to come back to your, your first story about uh, the science and the fact that eat out to help out. The scientists didn't know. All along, the, the government was saying, we're led by the science. And you had, and now it seems like a charade. Mm. You had the scientists, Valence and Tam, they were brought out alongside the science, alongside the politicians about about uh, uh, about uh, Johnson and others. And they made it so they were in lockstep. And in reality, what, and what they were saying at the time, what you're saying now is we science can give you the options. You have to make the political decision. Yeah. Politics is the process. And they, and they were looking or hinting that science was making the choice for them. And in yeah. reality, we're not. God, what was it? We should have locked down sooner. That's what they wanted. But no, it didn't fit the political. Well, agenda. yeah, and and, and Witty, Witty is a kind of very interesting guy to my mind because he's he seems always very sanguine about it all and very philosophical. I mean, you know, he he's come to the conclusion with hindsight that we probably should have locked down earlier but he he doesn't kind of express any great emotion about it or he 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 kind of implies look there's there's lots of difficult decisions that are made in those kind of contexts you try to understand that the best you can you try to analyze the evidence and present it and then there's a political choice that's made and and you know that's the way he sees it isn't it no, you 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 summed up beautifully there. Gosh, I'm complimenting you. I feel a bit sad <laughs> at that. No, but it's about a political choice. What science can give you will give you the A and the B. And keep in mind, Phil Johnson and and his um and his, his uh, economic philosophy and um economics philosophy and was it Ec uh, politics philosophy and <laughs> economics PPE Poly at Oxford. These yeah. PPE people they they're full of that on the one hand on the other. Mm. They write essays. 
yes. about, you know, what was Johnson wrote, the famous Brexit essay to stay or to not or to leave. Mm. So they're familiar with that from a from a uh, an artistic or a humanitarian art um, essay point of view. But science is like that. There's, there's solutions. There's this solution or there's that solution. Make your mind up. Mm. And the, science is not, you know, often well, it gives science you the evolves. Science evolves as well, doesn't it? And 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 you know, that's part of the problem. The fact that it does change. Yeah, yeah. Like, and, so and, and you know, you a, get new B data next day. Well, it may be B, C the you, next day. You, you get new data coming in, yeah. and, and then you, your scientific opinion might shift. In, and 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 we were suddenly we were plunged into this fast moving pandemic, a, 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 a coronavirus pandemic that we hadn't really prepared for and that no one knew was coming and um the no, scientists no just, one knew was coming hello italy that was there was the arrogance right. well they're italian we're british we'll yeah, do yeah. it differently well Come i on. mean so yeah wait, fair point we we knew once we'd seen it in china and italy we certainly knew it was coming but what i what i mean by that is we're still it took a long time for instance for the for for science to realize that it was being spread asymptomatically you know we we went through several weeks of thinking that um you know pro probably unless you were showing symptoms you weren't going to be spreading it to other people and that was something that we it kind of evolved over time didn't it we it, the evidence was gathered uh, that actually it must be spreading asymptomatically and, and and these are the kinds of things you learn as you go and the scientists are constantly looking exactly. at. I remember all this stuff about, uh, about masks to wear a mask or not to mm. wear a mask you know was the mask spreading the germs or not spreading the germs or the one I, one I enjoyed was washing your hands yes using which a was a big thing wasn't it two, two times happy birthday using a blow dryer or using tissues Mm. Which is more hygienic? Which is safer? Mm. It was. It was. We were all learning in real time. So no, I would be happy with. Um, I was happy with the scientists. What I was unhappy was with our politicians hiding behind following the science, thinking science had the answer and it didn't. And then, and we we did it at the time. Phil, fair play to her uh, in um, Germany, Angela Merkel, a scientist, a scientist. They say. Spoke Russian and physics. She was a physicist. We spoke Russian and German. Brilliant lady, and she she understood it, and she could communicate it. But sadly, Johnson and that that cabinet, no idea about science. No idea. They were in that. You know, and I put you in that box, Phil. So I'm going to be pointy finger time at you, Phil. You arty people who deride science, who derive maths. Oh, I don't understand that. Oh no, it's not for me. You know, when they're conf confronted with the graph and can't understand it. And then mm. you, you, and that, that, that drifts into that Coe's favorite statement, we don't need experts. Yeah. We don't need scientists. We can make this decisions on our own. Yeah, really? Come on. So, Phil, it was no surprise for me that Johnson could could, you know, didn't understand the graph, couldn't understand the science. You know, it, it, it's, it's, it, it, we live in a, we live in an age, I'm asking, I still live in that age where, with science, you know, a knowledge of maths and science is seen as, well, it's not. It's better to quote Shakespeare, Shelley, Deacons, Keats. That's what it's about. And come on, in, in that pandemic, where was Keats, Dickens, and Shelley, mate? We needed science. Science. Come on, Phil. You, you, you're dismissing me now in the sense that because I'm, I'm making the point for science, you say we should move on. Come on, Phil. Come back at that. 
The fact that no, you know, you know I, it's I, missing I, science. I think you know. I think that you're absolutely right. Though we we have a we have a political elite that is not well trained in uh, is is not well trained in science, and they tend to be drawn from you know people who studied subjects like history and law and politics and philosophy and that kind of thing. Uh, and we could do with more scientists, probably in 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 politics. Um, and the pandemic definitely shows that. But think of then there's lots of other issues. What about AI, which we're about to move on to? Uh, maybe people with more scientific knowledge in politics would be a good thing for that as well. Live in the eye. Story number four is just an amazing story for me. And it goes to the heart of the AI debate. It's the fact that on, on Friday night, AI, last Friday, Sam Altman, they... Um, the CEO of, of uh, ChatGBT, or OpenAI, the group that created ChatGBT, he'd spoke at Rishi's AI conference only the day before. Then he goes home to find he's been kicked out. He's been ousted as chairman by his people. And Phil, the thing that it, the thing I couldn't understand at the time is what is going on here. And, and, it, and we're still not there. We're still not. No, we're still not there. I think. I think a lot of a lot of people um, were, were were completely flummoxed. You know, people in the in the markets, in the tech community, everybody. Uh, yeah, didn't didn't really know anyone. I'm what, totally what flummoxed. On. And for me, what my takeaway now, almost a week later, is the fact that there's two challenges. There's two challenges. Two buttons. There's two 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 sides to this. There's the side that wants to move forward at pace, that's rooted in that old internet thing, move fast and break things, that are, are constantly developing, moving on and on and on at a pace, regardless of the consequences, they're moving forward to some kind of excellence, whatever that is. Yet there's another side that says, hang on a sec, where are we going with this technology? What does it mean? And only, only what yesterday, Phil, we saw that story breaking that could have been part of the fall of Sam or the disrupt of the company was the fact that these things can now, these things, AI can now solve mathematical equations. Yeah. It's got yeah. its own, in its own head. Yeah. And when I, I was, head. I, 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 when, <laughs> when the story broke, broke, I was looking at speculation and people were saying, well, it could be to do with, with money, the financing of the company, um, the relationship with Microsoft. Cause there's all these, there's all these business and, uh, the, there's all these business and, uh, financial elements to it. But, um, it has come out since that, um, there was this letter written by members of staff warning, um, about this, uh, the latest uh, iterations of the AI, and as you say, the fact that um, it's able to do maths and and so on. This seems to be, if there was something that was kept from the board, it seems as if it could be that uh, it was no, 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 it, no, it, no, it, it was but, this stuff. But but that's only one side of the AI debate. The math. There's also the sentient side of the debate. Mm. You know, emotional side of the debate. The people. This thing has got emotions. It's a human being. Creating the so this is a mathematical thing. These all these complex things that develop this thing for AI, and this is what this is what split for my my understanding. There's two sides of the debate. The one that says let's go slowly and see how we develop this thing develops, mm. and rather the other side let's just get it out there and give it to the world. Phil, the problem is I think they can't control this now. The open AI, they've got the other people are working on this thing. It's going to be out there. 
we as a, a, a world needs to be ready for this. I'm putting laws, putting our own heading, heading in the main space and understand it. So I challenge everyone listening to this, get to know and understand what this thing can do. What this thing can do and what this thing can do. And what my takeaway is, any picture I see of any politician, I challenge. I question who who did it, why, when, who, how, and when. Whatever, whatever they're saying, what they look, what they're wearing, you have to question everything because this AI fundamentally undermines reality, fundamentally underlines reality as you see it, as you know it, as you understand it. So you've got to be ready to, to question everything, suspect everything. Live in the eye. Well, if there's one thing that we can believe in, in 2023 it has to be father christmas and that brings us to story number five father christmas was due to um host an event at uh, rawtonstall marketplace um and um he didn't turn up michael apparently uh the market said with a heavy heart they had to share some disappointing news unforeseen circumstances the grotto was closed um according to uh to, to uh, metro and the uh, manchester evening news um santa too busy to turn up for an important uh an important grotto session mike michael I, I i was quite shocked about this i mean i know you're a very busy man and sometimes you get yourself double booked don't you but for santa that that must be a first santa has his <laughs> i was gonna say santa has a price but this is, a, it's getting up, it's ramping up now. Things are happening now. You know, 25th is, is close at hand. The elves are working overtime. I was just, this is poor, you know, I, I have to say, this is poor, poor planning. Poor planning by these folk. They should have got their act together. And dare I say, an alternative Santa? A backup Santa? Right, yeah. If, yeah. You know, you know I'm, I'm sorry, you know, if it's that important, is that mission critical? to the success of the organization, then you've got to have alternatives. And just to say, Santa can't turn up. Uh-uh. Sorry, Phil. I mean, imagine if we said, imagine if we said we weren't turning up, Michael, what, what reaction there would be. <laughs> oh, Phil, no, no, you're not taking this seriously, Phil. You're not taking this seriously. Santa is iconic. He's fundamental to the success. I was going to say failure, but that, Christmas never fails. He's, he's fundamental to the success of failure. And there's children all over the world are looking forward to Santa. So to say that Santa didn't turn up, that, that, that's, a, that, that's a dreadful thing to say. And these, these, these grotto people need to look into themselves and say, what are we doing? You know, it's one thing, yeah, we're going to get involved in Santa. We're appropriating Santa. Yeah, because Santa's universal. is everywhere. But you've got to respect him. You can't yeah. just, oh, he's not here. No, not as simple as that. Bring me, bring on Santa. These people are, they're, they're, where's this grotto for? Where's this grotto? I think it's in the north of England somewhere, Michael. The, the, no, the north of England. I'm sorry. You've left, you're disgraceful. Disgraceful. Live in the eye. Well, we hope you've enjoyed our review of the week's news here on Colourful. You'll be glad to hear that although we're very busy, we're not too busy to come back again next week at the same time 
And if you want to contact us before then, remember our Facebook page is always open. We post up some of the stories we're considering for the next show. Happy to hear from you. But for now, this is me, Michael Hujuri, closing episode 048. I'm asking you personally to look after yourself and if you can, somebody else. And this is Phil Woodford in London, reminding you to keep an eye on the news as you never know what we'll be discussing on next week's Five in the Eye. Goodbye. Five in the Eye with Michael and Phil. It's news, but is it new?